Thank you for tuning in to Pastor Brian Hallam's podcast series. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter number 5. I'm going to begin in verse number 22. Tonight's going to be real specific about husbands and wives. So if you're not a husband or not a wife, but you want to be, this is a great time to really listen. If you are a husband and you are a wife, this is also a pretty good time to listen because we're going to itemize a few of the things that the Bible says specifically about the office of the relationship that you fall in. But so oftentimes, marriages and weddings are attributed to be a great ceremony, and then it has a, 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 an ending punctuation at the ceremony, when in fact, the actual wedding is the very beginning of everything in a new life. A good wedding in the kingdom of God is actually two funerals and one birthday. The Bible says that you two become one flesh. So literally when you decide to say I do or you're considering saying I do, you're considering getting married, then from that standpoint you need to recognize that your opinions no longer carry the weight and the gravity that they once did because it's no longer just your life anymore. It's two lives that God miraculously ties together and now your opinion and her opinion or your opinion opinion and his opinion are the same thing. So if you can get to the place in God where you say, I'm ready to do that, I'm ready to lay aside what I'm thinking is the top priority and say what's best for us, then you might be a prospect for getting married. If somebody that you are dating or courting uh, continues to be selfish and self-centered and the dating process is never on time, always making you wait, always making you feel bad, everything like that, putting a ring on it is not going to make them better at what they're already doing. Them getting married to you is not going to help the scenario. I talk to so many people and they say, I just think when we get married, it's going to get better. No, when you get married, you're going to find out that it's just not all tiptoeing through the tulips. You know, I, I don't know much about girls because I come from a family. I have two brothers, so there was uh, us three boys and my dad and my mom. The only woman I knew before I got married was my mom. And she would hit you in the mouth if you messed with her. Not really, but really. So I get Crystal, I start dating Crystal, and man, she's just this, she's so soft and gentle. You know, my, my mom is soft and gentle, but she grew up, you know, it was a locker room around the house. Crystal, you know, she's, she's, just, she's just gentle. It's just a different scenario. So I've got to learn this whole way of dealing with things. And I did a, an example one time where we put a plant up here, and it's just a normal old plant. And, you know, I started giving that plant what I want and what I like. So I like fishing. I gave that plant some fishing lures. And I like coffee. I gave that plant a bunch of coffee. And, you know, I like donuts. So I broke up some donuts and gave it to the plant. The problem is the plant doesn't benefit from what I want and what I like. The plant needs what the plant needs and it's my responsibility to give it what it needs, not what I want. So, so often times marriages start out with the idea of, oh, finally I don't have to do my own laundry anymore. No, that's not what it's about. Oh, finally, somebody's going to open every single door for me and I'll never have to gas my car up again. If you're that person, great. But bless God, don't go into it thinking that. You go into it saying, when I die, 
which is what happens when you get married. One life stops, two lives come together and become one flesh. When my own self-centered ideas die, which is what ought to happen, when that takes place, how can I serve this person? If you would get good at serving the other person, you'd find that person would, by uh, sowing and reaping, want to serve you. The Bible says this. It says seed time and harvest will be as long as there is an earth. And that applies to money. It applies to all kinds of things. That's why when I look at you guys and I go like this, you smile back at me. At least Johnny does. Kim frowning. I'm just kidding. She's not. She's smiling. But when somebody smiles at you, you smile back. That's reaping and sowing. Whatsoever you sow, you sure will, you will reap. The Bible says God's not going to be made a fool in that, in that category. So whenever you sow something, you can expect to reap it. The world twists it and other religions twist it and they try to call it karma. But karma didn't exist with the word karma. Didn't begin with the word karma. It's in the Bible. It's the law of sowing and reaping. If you're a jerk all the time, guess what? You can expect somebody to be a jerk to you. It's just the way it is. If you're good to people, if you're kind, and, and when somebody's in need, you're helping them, God forbid, but you ever find yourself in need, you can anticipate reaping the fact that you sowed all this good stuff, and you can expect to reap all that good stuff. So if you would get good, if, if husbands and wives would get good at sowing, what they're trying to attain. So if you're sitting there saying, I wish she'd be nicer to me. Well, why don't you do about ten things nice for her and see if that would help. It's the law of sowing and reaping. It doesn't just apply to money. It doesn't just apply to, every, to, to, to little things. It applies to everything. The other thing, uh, when you get married, guys, gals, listen. You have to prioritize relationships. It's no longer me and the guys and then her. It's no longer me and my girls and then him. It's us and everybody else. It's us against the world if necessary. It's no longer I'm standing here and, and I can't wait to get on the phone and, and tell my girlfriend what my husband just said to me because I can't believe he talked to me like that. That's over. If you want to really do it, then you've got to be willing to give. That means you give all your time. That means you don't rob from that emotional uh, uh, investment that you get from sharing your heart with somebody else. Listen, there's all kind of different ways. And, and, and I've, I've, I've ministered with a lot of people that have been, uh, you know, that have been unfaithful. And uh, it just ends up being the same thing. It never starts with, you know what? This one person was just, you know, whatever, and we just tripped and fell, and that's what happened. It always started with, you know, this person said the right thing to me. I started talking to him too long at the water cooler. I started answering text messages or phone calls or, you know, it always starts with a little thing that begins to build into a big thing. So the reality is, is we've got to get good at protecting those little things and working on those little things so that whenever we move forward in God, we're moving forward together and not in two diverging uh, pathways. Because what happens is when you begin to sow into your relationship, you'll begin to reap out of your relationship. But you have to prioritize. 
You have to put everything else on the back burner of that relationship. Here's the deal. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says that God made Adam first and says that he's going to be the head of the household. And it's just the way it is. We'll teach on that in a minute. But the bottom line is him creating Adam first doesn't necessarily just indicate that God, that, that, that man's the head of the household. It's saying that in the relationship, God had a relationship with Adam before Eve came along. If you want to see your relationship with your spouse improve Start working on your relationship with God because that relationship existed before Adam and Eve's relationship. And and it's a very interesting thing because with God, in most things, it's like you got to choose. Do I want this or this? Do I want A or B? Well, with God, it's not the case. When you choose to work on your relationship with God, everything about your relationship with God is telling you to work on your relationship with your spouse at the same time. It's like having a kid. We had Haley first. She's seven years old now. And I love her, man. This is my favorite kid. As long as she was the only one, she's my favorite one. And everything's great. And then all of a sudden, I got two. And just because I love Haley doesn't mean I don't love Walker Lee. I have two different relationships. So when you love God more, it by default causes you to want to love your spouse more. So you don't pick and choose, I'm going to work on my relationship with God, then I'm going to work on my relationship with my spouse, or I'm going to work on my relationship with my spouse, then I'm going to work on my relationship with God. You put the priority number one with your relationship with God, and then you by default will begin to see the relationship with your spouse begin to improve because you become more attractive. You start sounding better. You start acting better. You start believing God more. You start overlooking the, 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 the imperfections if there were any. You start overlooking them the way God so miraculously overlooks them in you. When you pray and say, Lord, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you've done. So glad that you're my God. He doesn't go, hey, but don't you remember? You're not perfect, and I'm tired of dealing with you. So why in the world do we hold our spouses to this level that God's not even holding us to? It's a crazy thing. Go to Ephesians chapter number 5. I know I'm moving fast, guys, but i got somewhere I want to go, and I want to get there quickly. Ephesians chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands... As unto the Lord. That word wives is a very interesting word. It means not husbands. It means ladies. Which means guys. God is talking to her right now. Not talking to you to go tell her what he just said. He's talking to her. If you walk into your house every day saying, woman, you got to submit to me, you are outside of the will of God, and I will show you this three times before we get out of this scripture. You don't walk into your house and start declaring that you got to do this and you got to do that. Because this Bible says, wives, this is the Lord speaking to women. This is Paul speaking, saying, telling what God's saying to the ladies. He said, ladies, listen, you are to submit yourselves unto your husband. That word submit is the word uh, hippotasso, which means to voluntarily cooperate and assume responsibility and help carry the burden of the household. Which means you cannot forcibly put anybody into a voluntary position. Does that make sense? You can, in the military, 
Back whenever there was a draft, you could either be drafted, which was involuntary, or you could volunteer for service. Nowadays, it's all volunteer military that the United States has. But it's one or the other. So you cannot, husbands, guys, you cannot, it's impossible for you to put your wife where she's supposed to be because where she's supposed to be is a voluntary position that only she can do. Which means you can't do it. You can't tell her to do it enough times and get her to do it. Because if she does it, based off the fact that she's forcing you, that is not voluntary. Therefore, she has not literally done it herself. You cannot make your wife be what God wants her to be. Ladies, you can't make your husband be what God wants him to be. But at the same time, we've got to be understanding that this is a situation where he says, Submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord. So when, ladies, when you're thinking about submitting, guys, when you're thinking about, I wish my wife would would help me carry the load and voluntarily cooperate with me, the first check you've got to make with yourself is say, Am I acting like Jesus acts? Because this says, wives, submit yourself uh, to your husband as under the cooperate with your husband like you would cooperate with Jesus. Which means, gentlemen, if you are not acting like Jesus, then she is not called to, to cooperate voluntarily with you. If you want to go to the bar and run around and, and, and go out all night and, 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 and fight and fume and all this other stuff and then bring some kind of a scripture like this up, you've lost your mind. Because this says, as unto the Lord. When is the last time Jesus talked down to you and made you feel bad? I'm not talking about Holy Ghost conviction. I'm saying when, did, when was the last time Jesus made fun of you? When was the last time the Holy Spirit knew what would get you uh, uh, and hurt you the most and said it to you? He hasn't done it. He's not going to do it. So, ladies, you cooperate with your husband according to the Scripture. Ladies are called to cooperate with their husband as unto the Lord. Meaning, the minute Jesus comes down to New Heights Church and starts picking and making fun of everybody and picking a fight, that's when, gentlemen, that's when we'll have the right to do it with our wives. But until then, the Bible says that we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And gave himself for it. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be under their own husbands. Same thing I'm talking about. You got to get to the place where you recognize, I'm not called to make sure my wife is subject to me, which by the way, it's the same word subject and submit there in the Greek that talks about a voluntary position. So it's the same word. It says, therefore, as the church is subject, is voluntarily unto Christ, Jesus didn't come and save you and then tell you, okay, now you've got to do it and put a, 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 a you know, some uh, handcuffs on you and say, you're going to follow me around. You're going to do what I tell you. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do, and I hope you do it. But it's a voluntary thing. You can't make your wife be in this position. She either will do it or won't do it on her own. Then the Bible says, therefore, as, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be under the husbands. And here we go. Verse 25. Husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Did you know that if you would love your wife the way Jesus loves the church, the voluntary cooperation takes care of itself? Guys, if you would look at yourself in the mirror and make a real... I mean, mean really. If you're fixing to get married, if you are married, if you would look in the mirror and say, when is the last time that I hung on the cross for my wife? Now, granted, we all have wonderful wives in here, but at the same time, there may be a time when you have a disagreement or you have some kind of friction in the household and you are not called to be right... Because Jesus said this. He says, you guys don't even get it. This is why he's being killed. He said, I could call legions of angels to come and kill everybody. And because he's God's son and anything he does is right, it would be completely righteous. But it's not about being right. It's about being the one who loves first. Guys, if you would love your wife, As Christ loved the church. Did you know, here's the deal. One of the greatest books on the planet is Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a a historical reference uh, book that will talk about a very substantial amount of the martyrs who've died in faith. Uh, and, and it's got some great, um, I mean, great is not the right word. It's very moving, uh, but it talks about how they died. But basically what I'm saying is so many people for the church, for the word of God, for the things of God, have had to give their life for it. Everybody in this room, if I went one by one, you remember the Columbine shooting up in Colorado, there was a young lady, and, and the, the testimony is, and her dad still goes around uh, the United States and gives this testimony that the gunman who was full of the devil uh, comes into the comes into the to the to the cafeteria, and the girl's sitting there. I think it was the cafeteria, maybe in the yard, but anyway, puts a gun to her head and said, "Do you or do you not believe in God?" And she said, "I do," knowing when she said that. He was going to pull the trigger. She'd already seen him kill other people. She said, I do. Bang. She's in heaven right now. People give their life all their time, give their lives all the time for the kingdom of God, for the things of God. You and me are the same for the gospel. It ought to be our same goal with our wives, with our spouses. That at any moment we're willing to lay our life down. And look, everybody would jump in front of a train. Everybody would try to jump in front of a bullet. But I'm talking about when she's had a bad day. I'm talking about when she's down on herself. I'm talking about when she's had 17 different conversations and she says something short to you that she wouldn't normally say because you know it's not her character. And instead of responding back with, why would you talk that way? You walk off and say, Lord, just forgive her. I love her so much. She's my wife. Thank you for giving her to me. I wish in the name of Jesus that you would give her the peace that passes all understanding. I wish, Lord God, that you would help her feel better. I wish, Lord God, that you would uh, give her something that just eases the stress in her mind and you lay your life down like Jesus laid his down for the church. The minute you are willing to do that is the minute your relationship has the potential to soar to levels that you hear about. It's the minute that you have the potential for your relationship to go to places that you've only dreamed it could go. Ladies, if you'd get good at voluntarily trying to help carry the load, and all of you already are, guys, and you're already doing a great job loving your wives. But this is what the Bible says. 
It's not a maybe. It's not a kind of. It's what the Scripture says. And if somebody wants to rewrite the book on marriage, that's fine. But it doesn't have the promises of God associated with it. This is his plan. Not that men would walk in and, and their wives would be some kind of a, 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 a you know, servant. And the husband would be some kind of a taskmaster. I've read a lot about Islam. It doesn't take long if you have daughters to really not like Islam. But what I'm saying is, if we could get good at lining up with what this Word says, then we can expect to see what this Word says. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. The key at all times is to make sure that we're loving. That He might sanctify, this is Jesus now, that He might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any other thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is what Jesus is doing for the church. Then it says this, So ought men to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. Nobody in their right mind hurts themselves. Some people hurt themselves, but they're not in their right mind. Nobody in their right mind hurts themselves. And guys, when you choose to be ugly with your wife, that's effectively what you're doing. When you choose to not turn the other cheek, that's what you're doing. When you choose to decide that you're going to respond vehemently because you've had a bad day and you think it's okay for you because you go out into the world and she just doesn't understand, you are outside of the will of God. Man, it's quiet in this Episcopal church. It is a different thing to live for God. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if you want to, this is what the book says. Ladies, voluntarily cooperate. If your husband's, you know, a drunk and, and all those other things, you know, look. There's, there's extenuating circumstances, of course. The Scripture even references those. But if your husband's trying, you're going to get a lot further helping him try than you ever will talking him, talking down to him or trying to be hurtful. Guys, let's get a reality of what love is. 1 John 4 and 10, we talked about it Sunday. For this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He first loved us. And gave His Son as a propitiation for us. 1 Corinthians 13 is another definition of love. Uh, 1 John 4 and uh, 11 where it says God is love. I believe it's 11. It might be 7. God is love. We've got to get to the place where we're not focused on being right. We're focused on loving. Several supernatural things happen. And I close with this. Several supernatural things happen when you get married. You immediately double your capacity to hear from God. You become one flesh, of course, but you immediately get the benefit of four ears instead of two, four eyes instead of two. You can see things. She will see things that you can't see. Guys, you will see things that she won't see, and you'll be able to work together towards a common goal with the ability of doubling your efforts miraculously. I'll never forget 
Crystal and I were going to uh, buy our first house. We were young, and, you know, I, I told her, we moved to Houston, and I, we got this apartment. It was a nice apartment. Got this apartment. And she said, how long do you think we'll live here? And I said, oh, we'll probably live here a year, and then we'll buy a house. Well, about nine months into living in that apartment, I started noticing a bunch of uh, house uh, books and, and, and listings on the coffee table. And I said, what are you doing with all these? She said, well, I'm getting ready. I said, getting ready for what? She said, you said we're moving. You said we're buying a house in a year and it's been nine months. I said, oh, my gosh. We're not ready. That's what I wanted to say. But I said, yeah, that's right. Let's go house shopping. So we went house shopping. She said, I met this lady. You know, I met this girl. You know, she's a realtor. I really want to use her as a realtor. I'm like, oh, I don't care. The whole time I'm thinking, we ain't buying a house anyway. Wasn't really thinking that. That's what I was wanting to think. She gets get this realtor. She's a real nice lady, young lady. She's traveling around with a baby, like a month old and a carrier. My wife loves babies. And so we're looking for a house. Man, I'm just tore up because I know I'd said we'll probably buy a house in a year. But I was not ready, I didn't think. And I remember... Going up for prayer, just like a service like, like this. Prayer partners to the front. Guy went up and I was praying. I said, man, I said, I don't know. I said, I got this big decision whether or not we should buy a house or lease an apartment for another year and try to get a little bit more, you know, savings and all that other stuff. And we're sitting there and he goes, well, you should ask your wife. And I'm like, what? You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I go on that day. Uh, I can't remember if my dad was there. If I called him, I think I called him. I'd gone to ride my mountain bike. And I was, ri- I was driving back from there. And I called my dad. And I said, you know, I said, laid out all my finances. Here's the finances. I said, we could afford it, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, I just really want to make sure, you know, we're young. I don't want to get in a bad situation, you know. What do you think I should do, Dad? He said... I think you ought to ask Crystal. Of course, I knew what she was going to say. So I go home, and after the guy I prayed with at the altar, said, talk to your wife. And I mean, we talk all the time. It's not like we don't talk, okay? As dad says the same thing. I knew it was the Lord. I go in, I said, baby, I said, do you really think it's a good time for us to buy a house? And she said, yeah, you know, I think so. I said, okay. So we got real serious about looking for a house. We had, now probably 45 days uh, left to buy the house, or maybe 60, I don't know. So we start looking on using this realtor, real nice lady. And uh, the realtor finds us a house, and we're driving out there, and we, we get close, and, and all of a sudden, these two deer, like right by the house, like jump out of the, the yard next to it and run across the road. And and it sounds funny, but I knew in my spirit that that was a sign from God to buy the house. He just gave me complete peace. You know, I'm an old country boy. So we ended up buying the house, and the realtor wanted us to uh, go to dinner with him. And my wife had gotten to be great friends with her. And she said, I really want you to meet her husband. I said, I don't want to meet her husband. I've got plenty of friends. I don't want any more friends. I don't... I don't want to meet anybody's husband. She said, please. I said, okay. So we go to this Mexican restaurant. 
And we're sitting there, and, and, and literally, I said hello, and that was the only thing I wanted to say because at the time I was incredibly focused on, on, on the businesses that we were doing. And I just didn't really, we didn't have much free time, and I just didn't want to add another layer to life, if you will. But I noticed that he was sitting across the table the exact same way, obvious that his wife had roped him into coming to dinner too. So we're sitting there, and you know, I'm trying to give off this I don't like you vibe. And I'm getting it back. And the next day, my wife said, uh, the, the lady's name was Allie, by the way. And her husband's name was Frankie. And she says, uh, she says, we're going to dinner with Frankie and Allie tonight again. Of course, I said what any good God-fearing husband would say. Yes, ma'am. So we go to dinner. And uh, we go to dinner, and we become great friends. And it turns out they only lived about a mile from our new house, so they were at our house twice a week, and we were at their house twice a week having dinner. Um, we would, we would, we just started living life together. Is the only way I could really put it. We would run five o'clock in the morning, which I don't do now, by the way. We would run at five o'clock in the morning. And after about six months, if you've heard this story, I'm sorry, I'll be quick telling it. After about six months of being good friends, he says, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm kind of a contractor, you know, to different stuff. Just kind of briefly described to him what I did for a living. I said, huh. I said, well, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a youth pastor. I said, well, that's cool. I said, what church? He said, Lakewood. I said, like Joel Osteen Lakewood? He said, yeah. He was the youth pastor at Lakewood, and Joel Osteen personally had hired him. So when he didn't want a friend, it's because he'd been burned a lot. And when I didn't want a friend, it's because I just felt like I was too busy. So in about six months, we developed this, all I can call it is a covenant relationship. So for the two to three years that my wife and I came to uh, College Station, Bryan College Station... Uh, praying over the city and believing God where we're going to put a church, when we're going to put a church, what's the right time. There was two people, three really in the world that knew about it, but I'll name two. One uh, outside of Crystal. One was Larry Hallam, my dad, and the other was a guy named Frankie Mazapika, former youth pastor of Lakewood, which Lakewood blessed him. And now he goes, uh, he started a church in the woodlands called Celebration Church. Many of uh, the men have been there. We went there uh, not too long ago for a leadership deal, too. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, Pastor's a great, wonderful church. So we're in complete covenant. But at the time, guys, I didn't even want to buy a house. But when you get married, your ability to hear from God and know the right season and the right time doubles because now you get the benefit of your wife hearing from God for the benefit of both of you. And ladies, you get the benefit of your husband hearing from God for the benefit of both of you. And if she had not done that, and if the Lord hadn't directed me to listen to her as closely as I did at that time, I would have never known Frankie and Allie Mazapika, who at this time in my life are some of the dearest friends we have. Covenant partners. 
He sits on our business team. He helps whenever we look at whenever we look at buildings. We look at buildings all the time. Trying to find a building. God give us a building. He looks at them and says, Well, I think this one would work. And he, he weighs in. He, all these benefits that the only way that they were even possible was my wife. So when you get married, you double your ability to hear from God. You double your ability to see God move and to know the right way to go and the right direction to turn. So if you don't take anything away from tonight, guys, love your wives. Oh my gosh. If we're going to be known for anything, let's just be known for love. Ladies, don't tear him down. You say, well, I know he could do better. Well, pray for him. I know he could do more. Believe God with you. You know, a lot of times... If you'll start talking about your spouse the way God's Word talks about you, you'll see them begin to gravitate to what God's called them to be. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet if you would, please. Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.